did you watch the TV show? Uh, what was that Cronenberg movie that got turned into a show? Dead Ringers. Dead, did you watch Dead Ringers? The show? No. Watch Seen it the movie. now. Because that episode one, now that you're like right out of the, like, you know, prenatal mm-hmm. care. Yeah. Uh, or no, that's not prenatal, right? It'd be postpartum. Postpartum. postpartum yeah. They, um, they make some really good points in that show and it will get you pumped. Yeah. And then uh, the disappointment, I think, will just be hard. I didn't talk on the episode because we had enough to talk about. But uh, I, when I was in the hospital, they had a little iPad that you could put your Amazon account on. And I sat in the corner when the baby was asleep and my wife was asleep. And I watched all hospital media because I was like, <laughs> you know me. I'm like, let's be on theme. So yeah. I watched Garth Marenghi. I watched Halloween 2. And then when I got home, you cannot find it on streaming. So I bought the DVD of Stephen King's Kingdom Hospital, which is okay. his remake of Lars von Trier's Reached the Kingdom. And so Lars von Trier is the original hospital horror guy. Randy, I like Lars von Trier. I just don't like the house that Jack built. And I really do yeah. love the kingdom. I like you how know? you dressed Randy there. Because I, I, it sounded like Randy was maybe a fan of that. My brother's a fan of that too. I think that, I, am, I don't yeah. like that movie. The new kingdom uh, season was great too. I didn't get to see it yet. I really want to watch it. Kingdom Exodus, right? I haven't gotten yeah, to watch yeah. it yet. Yeah. I love a good hospital horror show. Yeah. Well, make sure to tune back in yeah. because you could go back and hear Randy run through the whole thing. All right. Are we recording? Yeah, we're going. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, uh, it's Nick. <laughs> Wait, but don't, I, we had a nice natural thing going in here. Don't okay. get, don't you get, don't bring him, your, your weird nervous cut energy that, now. Cut that out. I was just telling very personal stories about my son and I love uh, being a father and so does Russ. Uh, but let's talk about what I came here to oh, talk dude, about. Oh, dude, Nick, they've made fun of me. <laughs> because I talked about how uh, helpless and scared I was. In- Dude, yeah. Night one, uh, I um, took it. Took me, I think, a, a solid twelve tries to get the blanket swaddle right because my wife couldn't get up after yeah. the after the cesarean. She couldn't get up, and so I was like, "Show me the blanket swaddle again." And I, I swear, six nurses showed me six different swaddle techniques. Yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some of them, Literally. and the main difference is: do you do the diamond or do you do the square? Yeah, and and I eventually settled on the square. Me too. But um, but I was doing the square, and I've been so terrified by safe sleep and all that stuff. Yeah. that I was like, if I get this wrong. I you will committed murder. committed murder. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so, so I was, uh, I was doing the swaddle repeatedly, very tight. You want to swaddle the arms tight too, yeah. right? He's a little Houdini. He was pulling his arms out yeah. no matter what I did. And they said, if a blanket gets loose, the baby could pull the blanket over his face and mm-hmm. suffocate and you wouldn't even notice. Well, that's yeah. why you got to get the baby straight jacket. <laughs> Basically yeah. Yeah. these, these Velcro swaddles are straight jackets They're for babies. Wonderful. And, um, and so night one, We've been like barely sleeping for about 36 hours. Uh, I'm not pretending I went through something as hard as my wife, but <laughs> I am also sleep deprived. And I go to bed finally, maybe sleep for two hours and a nurse comes in the room to check her vitals. Mm-hmm. And I launch out of this couch and go, is the baby okay? And lift this newborn hours old infant up to check if he's breathing. And the nurse goes, oh my God, you scared me. <laughs> Call the police. <laughs> now, Randy, very important question for your swaddling techniques. Are you a square or diamond guy? It's hip to be square, dude. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, that's the goddamn right, dude. The diamond technique never made any sense to me. <laughs> it's the square technique for me, always. Diamond else page. I've now, I now swaddle the baby. He's a month old. I now swaddle him with his arms out. Because he wants the arms okay. out, let him have the arms out. And he yeah. can all, he was able to roll onto his side starting at a week old. So he's yeah. a side roller. And they say that never put the baby on their side. But if they can get on their side, that means they can get off their side. And yeah. so then it's okay. Yeah, basically. 
You just don't want to put the baby in a position they can't get out of. Well, Nick, I, I just want you to know that the overlook hour is on your baby's side. <laughs> Dude, every, yeah. everything is going to kill your child in the beginning. I know. And they, that's, they all tell you. That's too. the scariest it's thing. Like, However, I'm here to be, since we're talking babies now on the air, <laughs> I'm here I'm here to be the one for new dads, new moms, new parents of every, of every gender to say that um, people are going to be fucking annoying when you're when you're pregnant or when your partner's pregnant and say, Oh, just get ready. It is better when the baby's external. And I really do mean that from the sense of worry, we had sort of a high risk pregnancy and it was scary. Once the baby was out, I felt way better. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now it is more sleep deprivation and more work, but the psychological horror of what could go wrong went down. And uh, that's just my experience. But. It's just like baking a cake in the oven. <laughs> yeah, once the cake's out. Once you take the and then you put the toothpick in. Yeah. <laughs> so once you tooth, oh my put God. the toothpick in the baby to make sure the baby's done. He's, he's actually think? 100% right on that one. It's once the cake is out, stuff could still go wrong, but it's less likely to go wrong. Yeah, you know? did you feel better did, about it. Did you have that moment where you were probably doing like the same manual routine you'd done before? And then you're like, oh, I'll get to relax now. And then you remember like, oh, well, I guess no. I guess I'll never get to relax Yeah, and then, <laughs> and then it kind of like you feel it and you're like, wait, no, that's not going to change now. Yeah, I did. Um, and I think that my wife felt it more acutely because she is the food source, you know. Oh, okay, and I yeah. saw her have a few moments of like, this is forever now, you know. <laughs> and and that's when it's time for dad to be you're like, like it doesn't have go to, to be. bed. You know, like like pick up the baby. We've got pumped milk. <laughs> Go to bed, you know, reckon with this. And the other thing, I mean, I don't mean to sound corny as hell or sound like Carrie Fisher here, but like if you have family and friends, um, they can really pull some of that weight off you a little bit, you (laughs) know. And my wife's pumped a lot of milk. And so like encouraging her early on to be like, go to sleep and we'll bottle feed the baby and you're fine is like important for the psychology of the mother, you know. Takes a village. eh? However, if that baby cries and I mean – my wife's all the way in the bedroom. The baby's all the way out. Farthest point in the house it could be from my wife because we're trying to let her get some sleep and recover. If it cries at a certain tone, a certain frequency, she wakes up no matter what. Yeah. And she's and she's straight out there like, he needs me. And and she might have gotten two hours of sleep, but she's out there, you know. Yeah. And Ox- Oxana does that now too. It's <laughs> actually a sparked a conflict between her and the cat. There was never one before, but well, now that cat meows and she's like I'm going to, I'm going to kill you. Well, you know that they say that the cat meow is mimicking a baby sound. Uh-huh. Yeah. And we have a dog. A devious little feline. A corgi. And the corgi is very sweet about the baby. Yeah, cares about the dog. baby. Let's get into that. <laughs> oh, no. please. <laughs> All right. The entire British empire disagrees. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the corgi, she very much uh, cares about the baby, nannies the baby. When other dogs come over, she won't let them near the baby, oh, you know. But she also, when a guest comes over to see the baby, will get between the baby and that guest as quick as possible and be like, don't fucking forget about me. I was here first. I was the original baby. Yeah. You know, there's a jealousy there. Um, <laughs> baby dog. I, gotta, I love I, it. I got to say, fatherhood's going well. And it's, uh, it's not, don't let, I don't know why boomers especially, but also some Gen Xers. When you have a baby on the way, they love to be like, get fucking ready because your life is over. Uh-huh. You're never going to sleep again. Oh, oh, you liked going out with your friends? That's fucking over. You had hobbies? Give up on that. <laughs> you like to read books? You'll read two books a decade. You know, and like they love to really just lay it on. And I'm convinced, and I'm going to throw some shade here. They just hate their families. Like that's all. That's, <laughs> yeah. Like that's what it comes down to. Because it's not that bad. I read books aloud to the baby, and it, whatever. I yeah. read the history of the mall to the baby because that's what I was reading. <laughs> you know, I'll get into that in a sec. And I watch. At this point, the baby's not noticing the TV. So I watch. I watch Lord of Misrule while holding the baby. What my wife? This was a weird combo. 
my wife and I watched Black Christmas while she breastfed. Oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> and that's a movie about yeah. a, a baby type killer too. So it's very strange, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But whatever. At this point, who cares? Once yeah, he's a no. toddler, it'll be different. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. You, yeah. <laughs> you're still in the golden era. Yeah. Then when it starts the walking and the talking <laughs> and, and the rebellion. I'm ready for the rebellion. The rebellion. <laughs> I'm not ready for the walking because we live in a run the stop sign neighborhood and that's going to be a tough conversation mm. for you really need to make eye contact with the driver before you get in that crosswalk out in the sunset. So I'm, that's another anxiety I get to pick up. Oh, oh yeah. You'll yeah. watch Pet Cemetery. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> when evil lurks. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, um, all these things to say, I'm enjoying it. And I think anyone who has a baby on the way, uh, don't let the boomers bring you down. That's, that's what I have to say. <laughs> now, Nick, Nick, you're here to talk about your new project. Yes. And, uh, you know, you, you kind of uh, threw us all here for a loop here because uh, now all of a sudden, you're this Ira glass hole, you know, coming in here with your NPR bullshit. What do you, we, we like made up stories here. Now you try to, what, what, what is this, what is this okay. you're doing to us now? So even though it's a, a true story, it's got a lot of uh, artistic panache to it. That's why I think I can still, uh, bring wait, it. wait, hold on. What's panache? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's not like something Clark would eat. So uh, I have to. Uh, Panache and eggs. It's, dude. you know, just like <laughs> stylization. Um, okay. I am an uncredited editor and uh, music coordinator and uh, marketer for this project. Oh, I'm luxurious. not luxurious. Yeah. <laughs> you won't find my name on it. Um, the project is, of course, a podcast called Mall Walk. You can find uh, more info about it on mallwalkpodcast.com. It's also anywhere you listen to podcasts, Mall Walk is the name of the podcast. Not to be confused with Matt Gorley's Mall Walkin' podcast <laughs> that, that he released while we were in production on this podcast. Really? Yes. But you know what? Gorley. I'm, I'm going to send Gorley a message and say, hey, we have similar sounding podcasts. I like yours. You like, I hope you like mine. <laughs> Those even Conan though, fucks. E even though it's not mine, it's uh, it, my friend Celia. She's sort of... um. Investigative journalist uh, works with uh, KGI Redwood Shores, not too far from here, and did um, some investigation on this thing that happened in Belmont in 2004. And I sort of gave the aesthetic dressing to it. So first, I'll just say that the log line for the podcast is: we're uh, we're recording now from South Bay area near near the city, and uh, Belmont is not too far from here. Nope. And there's a couple different malls in this area. You've got Tanfern, right, nearby. You guys have been to the oh, yeah. you've been to the theater in Tanfern before? Uh, the Living Dead Mall yeah, known as Tanfern. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tanfern, where there was the horrible shooting. And also Tanfern, <laughs> which is the only place where you will find an Orange Julius remaining in malls in the Bay Area. I would yes. say, yeah. If you want to go get an Orange Julius, you better go get it at Tanfern. Also in Hillsdale, there's, I think, Hillsdale Shopping Center. In the city, we've got Stonestown. We've also Westfield. They put a lot of money in Hillsdale in the past few years. Oh, yeah, yeah. And this was really close to there. There was a mall over in Belmont, or actually near Belmont in the hills, the foothills, called the Royal Galleria. And kind of the way that like Fry's locations used to be kind of Western themed and, and castle oh, okay. themed. Yeah. It was it was castle themed. And so the whole mall was themed like a castle and it had an aquarium. And in 2004, so think, uh, I'll use movies to help you navigate this because that's how you think. When the original American remake of The Grudge came out. Okay. When Cube Zero came out, when Jay-Z Fade to Black came out, um, you had this uh, incident where a kid got like a handle of some power equipment from a construction site and he caused a flood in this mall. So the main thing that my friend Celia managed to get uh, out of this story, because it hasn't been widely discussed since it happened, was she got an interview with Blair Van Auken, who is the main witness to this whole crime, and he kind of tells the story on her podcast. And she came is that to Dutch. 
<laughs> Van, right? Yeah, Van Auken. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know where the Blair comes from, but yeah, it's a fairly... Which? <laughs> Van, like <laughs> Lars Vaughn, Trier, right? It means like a, a royal important person. Um, he finally agreed to talk about the issue and he she got a full interview with him. She also interviewed the security guard who was there that day. But I also, what, this is where I came in. I helped her coordinate because just at the time that she was trying to do the story about a mall in 2004, this music music genre that sort of emerged out of vaporwave was popping off. Tight. You might have heard of it. It kind of comes out of the same kind of aesthetic movement as the back rooms and all that kind of stuff. Okay, yeah. Which is mall soft. And mall soft music is this music. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'm wearing one of them right now. This guy right on my shirt, Cat System Corp. Uh, it's this music that is made to sound like you're having a dream of a mall. Yeah. Like you're imagining you're back in the mall in, in the 90s, the 80s, the 2000s. And all these artists, Cat System Corp, Power PCME, um, Disconscious, who's the artist who really invented it. I realized this project had legs. She was getting the interviews. She got the interview with Blair Van Auken. She got the interview with the security guard mm-hmm. from that day, Wesley Barker. Uh, I realized this project had legs when I interviewed I, or I emailed this guy, Power PCME, and he's a vaporwave mall soft artist who released an album called Kmart. Um, and oh, okay, it, and, yeah. And it was all this music kind of that would have played in a Kmart in the 90s, remixed to sound like a low frequency dream. And I emailed, I'm going to give a lot of credit to Power PCME, or maybe it's Power PC Me. Um, I emailed him early on. And I said, What do you feel? How do you feel about your music being used in this podcast? And he said, I love it. Just give me credit. Let me know if you have any issues with the rights, you know. And he was one of the first people to say, like, go ahead and use it. Mm-hmm. And that kind of gave me the confidence that then I emailed Cat System Corp. I said, Can I use your music? And then I also emailed um Disconscious, who is thought of as the inventor of the mall soft music genre, mainly through an album called Hologram Plaza. And all of them said, like, go ahead and use the music. You know, we love having our music featured. And so this podcast about this crime that happened in Belmont kind of accidentally became like the premier Mallsoft music feature podcast. And then we also had some original music by um, Harry Gibbons in LA made us some original music that sounds like you're in a mall in the 90s or 2000s. And uh, Trevor Brandt made us uh, some video game music because part of the story also is sort of like a real life Polybius story about this video game that cannot be located, this arcade cabinet that cannot be located, that they made like a, we made a, a video game thing that sort of evokes it. Um, last thing I want to mention for musical artists, I was going back and forth forever with this guy, Keiji Haino in Japan. Um, he's a noise artist. So he makes like really okay. out there noisy music. And I first heard of him, like, I think a lot of people did because, um, this, uh, this is this philosopher of pessimism at the new school, Eugene Thacker, who's written this series of I've books. I've been called a philosopher of pessimism, <laughs> by the way. And a Thacker. <laughs> <laughs> He wrote this book called In the Dust of This Planet. There was a Radio Lab episode about it in which he analyzes pessimism. And I'm not just talking about like having a negative attitude, Clark. I mean, like the. I'm more nuanced. I mean, tell me if you're a pessimist like this. The actual philosophical definition of pessimism is you believe that not only does humanity and life have no value, it has negative value. And in fact, Humans' existence is a negative force in the universe. And this goes back to Schopenhauer specifically. You're warm. <laughs> <laughs> and basically, Eugene Thacker argues that there's all this art um, that tries to approach uh, depicting abstraction, meaning depicting a world without humans, and none of it really gets there. But he cites in the first chapter of his book this 45-minute song by K.G. Heino called So Black Is Myself. And he says, this is the closest that a song has ever gotten to approaching genuinely depicting a void space without humans in it. 
And um, so I listened to it. It's amazing. It's very droney and hard to listen to. And I think this is the theme of what the story is all about. This is about someone who's very depressed because Blair Van Auken, who she interviews, is an incredibly clinically depressed person. His friend who went on this rampage is incredibly depressed. And they both talk about how the only time they felt any meaning in their life was being in the mall. And the mall is like this incredibly like fake environment, you know, yeah. like yeah, anytime you go to a mall, it doesn't even feel like reality. And so I thought this Japanese track, So Black as Myself, you know, would be perfect. And I emailed Keiji Haino and his assistant was like, well, I need to know what this project is. So I sent him all the materials and I sent him all the interviews. He's like, well, I still don't get it. I need to hear a recording. So then I put the song in the recording and sent it to him. And then he was he was like, well, I'll think about it. And then I emailed him months later. I was like, well, what do you think? And he's like, oh, I don't work for KG. I know anymore. And then I emailed the new assistant. And I was like, I've been back and forth a million times <laughs> with this with this guy. Can we please use the song? And the new assistant was like, yeah, yeah, you can use it. And so we finally got to use the song. And it's kind of the linchpin of the whole project now is this KG Hino, like intensely voidish drone song. So I just want to thank all the musicians who are a part of this project. And if you're someone who likes like Vaporwave or noise, this podcast utilizes it in a way I haven't heard others use it before. Yeah, Vaporwave is kind of breaking through. You know, I've been doing a lot of like YouTube shit. Like I'm trying to do like YouTube editing now. And Vaporwave is very like synonymous with that like area. Yeah. And I got a a commercial job like just to do like a a short like social media thing. Really? And I I put a Vaporwave track in there. Nice. And the first, again, I don't Was know. Was it Resonance by what, Home, which everyone loves? No, it came <laughs> off of a playlist. I, I listened to like Data Wave. Yeah. Have you seen that on? It's different than like Vaporwave. Oh, let's talk, let's talk subgenres. Okay. For a what is Data Wave? I don't know. You know what? Let me pull it up. Because <laughs> you guys actually, listen in the fart synth? <laughs> That's good shit. A fart barf. I love fart barf. Dude, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, if they were going to have a fake. Um, you liked fart barf. Yeah, I do. Don't start playing music. Okay. Yeah, let's see what they describe it as. But again, you here's pay the, rights if you play the music. Here's the thing with um because YouTube. I did get permission from these musicians if you want to play any of it. But but you you go ahead talk about Data Wave. No, oh well, okay. The Data Wave that I used was actually under royalty free. Oh. So I just went. I think it was like uh, White Bat is the artist. Name I have or something to say about royalty free too in a sec. But go okay, ahead. I want to hear that. No, so I put it in there just to like. I'm like, you know, fuck it. I'm gonna put a little bit of me in this thing. Sure. I think the note that came back was hate the music. <laughs> Hated the music so much that I think they're like, you know what? Don't even include music in the next one. But that's kind of the thing. I feel like, you know, the Vaporwave, it's it's kind of feeding on nostalgia a little bit. It feeds into a collective unconscious for sure. Well, it's weird that there would be a YouTube channel that's like Vaporwave Weather Channel. And it's a fake weather channel so that just never just, goes away. You just nailed what this genre is all about. Out. It's the background sounds from growing up in the 80s, the 90s, and yeah. 2000s. So Weather Channel, music playing at the mall, music that was playing from your dad's computer. Elevator. Yeah, elevator music. The first track on Glory the- Hole. <laughs> <laughs> Truck Stop Bathroom, yeah. which is Celia's next project. Ooh, um, lizards. I think that I think that uh the first track from the first Mallsoft album ever, which is Hologram Plaza by Disconscious, which Disconscious, who is a completely obscure internet figure, allowed us to use which is wonderful. Thank you, Disconscious. Um, the first track from the first Mallsoft album is called Elevator Up. And so it's literally like you emerge out of this elevator into the vaporwave genre. 
fantastic album, by the way, that we've utilized incredibly well throughout this Mall Soft, um, Mall Walk, the Mall Soft podcast. Um, but you, Data Wave, you also mentioned Weather Channel. Mall Soft, yeah. Cat System Corp, who I have on my shirt here, has done a lot of Mall Soft albums, most famously Palm Mall, which is like the first track <laughs> is 20 minutes of mall background ambient noise mixed with remixed Muzak. It's fucking great. Um, and then some really, really like more synthy sounding music. But now, Kat's just, go on. I mean, when I think of elevators, I'm thinking of my guy, Kenneth G. Oh, my boy. So Kenny what is G. what is his representation in this Kenny subgenre? G. Kenny G's in there. And other, um, other, in fact, when I helped Celia upload the, uh, when I helped her upload all the, um, episodes to YouTube. Cause also if, if you're one of those kiddos from Gen Z who doesn't listen to podcasts that you wouldn't be hearing this, but if, you, but if you, but if you are, we did put the whole podcast up on YouTube. And when I did YouTube, of course, immediately flagged it for copyright. Yeah. And yeah. I wasn't using any of the original samples. The original samples were just in other music. So I had, for example, power PCME in the first episode. And what did YouTube flag Dave cause Dave cause who's of course a Kenny G contemporary who also did that kind of smooth waiting room jazz and Clark if you don't know that you're looking at a guy who Spotify wrapped had Kenny G as his top song of the year then you don't know me my man. <laughs> I'll tell you why and this actually came from Randy oh my god full circle Randy mentioned watching the Kenny G documentary on HBO yeah, on an yeah. episode you guys did a long time Penny ago Lane. that I was on I was on the episode with this I think or I was listening to it I don't remember but he mentioned that going home is this giant Kenny G song in Japan I mean I'm in China where at the end of a day closing malls or businesses will play going home and everyone knows that it means we're closing it's like semi-sonic closing time closing time yeah. and to the point that when Kenny G played concerts in China he would have sure, to sure. put going home at the end of the set because everyone would leave uh, and when he would accidentally play it in the middle people would leave so what did I do for two years as a middle school and fifth grade teacher? I played going home when it was cleanup time. And so at the end of the year, Spotify says, Kenny G is your top played artist. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Excellent. And let me tell you, it is the music of, they said this in the documentary, Kenny G is the music of social persuasion. Everyone hears his music. It calms them down. It lowers the blood pressure. It makes people not want to be in a conflicting mood. And it's the sound of like, peace and complacency that's the other thing is jazz was like socially rebellious music and kenny g somehow made jazz incredibly like corporate music yeah. you know and i respect him as an artist sure. but i also respect that when i listened to it in waiting rooms as a kid it was a little depressing you know it's i respect little, that hair it's both so what do you think it's a reflection of like if we're trying to go back to hear that music like where did the music go i think that well, nowadays, I've heard people say this, and this is, this is going to hurt some people's feelings. The modern or millennial or Gen Z equivalent of smooth jazz is lo-fi. It's beats to study relax, too. Yeah, you're right. It's stuff you can put in the background that's not confrontational, not interruptive, and allows you to get your work done. Mm -hmm. And that's the whole point of smooth jazz originally is it was played in cubicle offices, and people would not disagree about it because it's completely uh, agreeable music. You'd dang. be having to finish your, you know, Y2K reports and maybe playing Kenny G and, uh, and no one would disagree and no one would be, and it doesn't even, you don't even notice that it's there. It's kind of what Brian Eno described as musical furniture. You know, there's, you know, I, as a fan, like I would do this with metal in the car or something. I'd almost have music that was so abrasive that it freed me to think clearly. Yeah. Like it's almost like instead of turning the noise down, I just turned it all the way up. And yeah. then I was like, 
now trapped in my oh, head. I, I completely agree with you. Yes. About metal. And not everyone yeah. feels that way, but I agree with you. But yeah. I, I do it the reverse too. Like the data wave shit is what I put on when we play like D and D or like if I'm working on a video that there's no dialogue. What is Brian Eno's first album of ambient music called? It's called music for airports. So the intention was always, this is music that's like meant to fill a space and make the space feel more warm, comforting and low confrontation. You know, and yeah. so that's what mall music was always about is it's don't shoplift, don't get in fights, shop, purchase <laughs> and be complacent. And now malls are dead spaces. You know, we go back you can go to Westfield in San Francisco. Yeah, it's yeah. fucking dead zone. Yeah, it's you can go to Tanferin. Yeah. It's dead zone. Yeah. Royal Gallery is a dead building out in the middle of Belmont. You're not even supposed to go in there anymore, but people do break in. And, Scares. Um, <laughs> and yeah, <laughs> our, our, our interviewee talks about going back and you were talking about black mold in the episode oh, two days ago, yeah. but like it, it is a moldy, disgusting building at this point that Belmont for some reason has not been able to tear down. But I think that the mall soft and vaporwave music is like you take the music and you filter it through like an abandoned building. Yeah. basically. And so it has that feeling of like being in an abandoned space. Um, There's something about liminal spaces too, because on YouTube, it got really popular for a while and they would just have, I almost think they're like AI generated fake. Some of them are like cavernous areas that you would imagine a lot of people should be. Yeah. And I'm like, I think the, like the bleak energy that is like throbbing here. It's just like, oh, but there's not a lot of people here and there never will be again. I would like to point out, first of all, that Mallsoft began before COVID. And so it was already popping off, but it became popular during COVID. Okay. And the back rooms became incredibly popular during COVID. Specifically, there we go. Is that a real picture? Or AI? <laughs> yeah, that's a real picture. Where of, is that? Uh, of where I work, where we just talked about 15 minutes ago. Clark is holding up a picture of a liminal space that he has to earn yeah. money in. I have to go there once a week. It's terrible. You're in you're in a sort of a, a, a netherworld dimension to yeah. earn your money. I mean, I also try to take pictures when I encounter liminal spaces in real life all the time. Um, but uh, I think that liminal spaces in the back rooms became really popular during COVID yeah. because that's what the world looked like. You would walk outside and you'd go to a public space, especially in the Bay Area where we took COVID really seriously. Yeah. In Florida, it probably didn't look different at all. Yeah, you took it seriously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, go down, you go downtown San Francisco, it was fucking dead. Or watching like the empty Enjuta Muni roll by my house with no one in it. It was like, it was like a liminal space. You know, it was like Silent Hill. And it was like being in this weird spot. And when I described kind of the vibe we were going for with uh, with the way that we were editing this this story of the mall in 2004, my brother immediately said, it's like Silent Hill 3, I think he said, where mm -hmm. there's an empty mall sequence. And so this idea of like the empty space, there's a word for it, which is canopsia, which is when you're in a space where there's usually a lot of people, but oh, suddenly okay. there aren't. And you almost feel like haunted by the absence. Or like another example is, do you ever go to school and you're like the only kid there. Like if you like, yeah, yeah. if you had to go for like a teacher conference or if you had to go for like senior ditch day and you didn't know it was senior ditch yeah, day. Yeah. <laughs> like, like it's, it's weird to be in a place like a mall that's used to be just full of crowds and then there's no one there. It's, yeah. it's ghostly. And that's what mall soft music is trying to get at. The other thing I was going to say that was Cat System Corp <laughs> has an album called uh, News at 11. You were talking about the weather channel. Yeah, yeah. And News at 11 is one of the most high concept. We didn't use it for this podcast because it didn't, wasn't relevant. The main things we used for this podcast were Paul Mall and Paul Mall Mars and some of the other Mall related stuff he did. But um, News at 11 is an album he did where it's all clips of news uh, music, Weather Channel music, and sound clips from 9 11 before the plane, <laughs> but before the planes hit. 
So it's all like Al Roker talking about some nonsense before the plane. So it's all about that moment before it happened. And then does it go like, oh, shit. No, no. Oh, no. okay. You never yeah. get there. The second you tower. Never, you never get there. Okay. Reverse needle drop. Yeah. So then, does, okay, now I have, to, I have to ask you then. Yeah. So is the context like very crucial or can you, is it palpable even without giving it? I think um, for that album, it's very crucial. Okay. That, 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 yeah. 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 You That's need to, the thing. Because otherwise it would be sort of a generic news sound. But I think the point is also like, I also remember going on another podcast called Still Got It, where we did a whole review of- um, Now, don't you dare talk about another fucking podcast. I'm just going to yeah, say- what are you, Russell? <laughs> that I brought to them, they would review movies from the 90s and 2000s and the 80s and talk about if they still are relevant. And I brought Summer Catch with Freddie Prince Jr. and okay. Justin Fields. Excellent film. And the reason I brought Summer Catch is that was the last like major movie released before 9-11. And so it's like, uh, and so, so you brought, you, you brought him a knuckleball and you're like, guess what? Well, I was just saying, it's like the last movie where you can look at like, this is where culture thought it was headed. And then nine 11 changed culture forever in every way. Yeah. And so this is the last movie where they were like, I don't know, I guess it's more nineties. We'll just continue to be like goofy and like bros will roll run culture, American pie, anyone, you know, they were still trying to figure it out. They didn't know where they were going. And that's why Summer Catch is a great movie. And and News at 11, highly recommended album. It's all the moments where Newcasters were like, well, I don't know what we're going to do a story on. Y2K didn't really happen. And, you know, we're still figuring out yeah. what culture is about, you know. And it didn't quite go there. And now, I think especially for middle America, the mall is such an icon of dead space and dead culture. Cause for suburban middle America, the mall was the only place to be, you know, if yeah. you live in a, if you live in a town where it's strip malls and gas stations, mom, drop me off at the mall and pick me up at 10 PM. I'm just going to go get orange Julius, hang by the fountain with my friends, play video games in the arcade, maybe meet up with a girl I like and maybe go see a movie. And just like, I, this is my city. The mall is my little city that mm -hmm. I exist inside of, you know? And now that that's dead, where do kids exist online? Fortune. <laughs> <laughs> That's where Randy hangs yeah. out. Well, you know, it, it's interesting because like we, we still have malls sure. and we've got the older malls that are, you know, like we talked about are, you know, a, a mere, you know, former representation of what they were. But like now they're still building malls, but they're more centered towards this sort of um, pavilion type of yeah. outside structures. And it kind of takes it away. Yeah. From what, everything that you were talking about. I would I would say that's more of a shopping center. Because yeah. like when it's outdoors, you're still doing the same thing where you're like, you know, simulating a city center with a center that is very much usually built into like a highway stop. And so it's not really a city center. It's not yeah. the same. You have to drive to get there. And that's, a, by the way, I was reading a little bit about the history of malls and I don't mean to be woke or anything, but the reason malls were attractive to people when they started in the 50s was because it's like you're in a city, but only with people from your suburban community. Oh, okay. If yeah. you get the vibe. You don't have to go to a, a city, which has all types of people. The well, mall, definitely. You, you have to drive a car to get there. And so, well, you, so it's only a certain type of people who go to these malls, you know? It's yeah. funny. I was talking to somebody about that I think it might have been Evan where it's just like the thing that a lot of people because I you know I've only been here in the Bay Area yeah. is that like people from the south you know they grew up around other yeah. black people and like it's you're you're actually mixed yeah we're over here you get the like oh yeah I, I'll stand up for rights but uh just don't bring anything 
Yeah, we take for granted, and I'm sure that anyone who didn't grow up in the Bay Area knows this about us, uh, because I grew up here too. We take for granted how economically segregated the Bay Area is. (laughs) It's it's insanity. Like, and then and then you're right that we talk about political movements in abstraction Mm -hmm. because it's all based on what we saw online. We don't experience it in our lives. I mean, I grew up in Palo Alto, which is literally cited in textbooks as an example of hyper economic segregation. Oh, yeah, yeah. So so I know what you mean. But malls were a big part of that too because malls are like. Hey, I know cities can be frightening with the way that they yeah. like integrate different types of people, but a mall is just friends from your suburban community who all parked there and can now go in and simulate a city together, you know? And that's the way that that space operates. I would say though that a big part of malls, and you kind of said it, Clark, is that they're inside. And it's almost like the tiki bar effect where it's like you can forget the outside world. That you're they're just here in the mall, and that's all it is. However, malls are transforming. If you go to Stonestown now, it's still alive. It's just yeah. becoming a lot of like Asian businesses because it's kind of following the Asian yeah. model for malls where malls still thrive in Asia, you know? And so I good- just can't wait till we can rent an apartment in one. <laughs> That's be happening. Like Blade Runner or Judge Dredd. I mean, all Tan Foran is now are sneaker stores and jewelry stores. Yeah. That yeah. is what Tan they have, is. They have a, a Five Guys in a movie theater. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that's, like, that's, that's, that's about it. Uh, there is, and then the, that, that's all you need. There that's, are, a good, that's a good night. There yeah. are, <laughs> there are new, new apartments being built, uh, in Stonestown and also in the mall Northgate Center in in uh, Marin County, and um, it's a weird way to live. I gotta say, they're also <laughs> behind. Can I take an escalator to my apartment? That's what I want. Behind know. Stonestown, there is that abandoned movie theater, mm-hmm. and you know, you know the one I'm talking about. Yeah, the, it was mm-hmm. like a two screen. Yeah, back then. And you go back there and you peer in between the wood boards, and it's real liminal space vibes. And I remember when we passed it once. My they do a farmers market there now. It's like you're doing a farmers market in the in the lee of a of a back room. And um, <laughs> I remember we passed it, and my wife said, "That's where they should have screened Skinamarink, you know, in an abandoned movie theater. <laughs> that would have been." Do you, do you love Skinamarink? Oh, I love Skinamarink. Okay. I, I know your brother you're does. You're free to leave at any time. <laughs> I know your brother does. I fucking does, yeah. love Skinamarink. Yeah. Yeah, and, of course, and of course, Skinamarink uh, and Backrooms and all that shit was like an influence on the way we edited Even though this is a true story, it's the, it influenced the way we edited it. Yeah, yeah. Because it's what's in the collective unconscious. It's also, I think, the reason like this story emerged into the – just like Lord of Misrule as a concept emerged at this time. It's why it emerged as a concept. We're all thinking about malls and airports and the Weather Channel and stuff like that. You know, you know, I actually wasn't thinking about malls when I started like listening to Mall Walk, but immediately I did like the like soundscape you had built. I really enjoyed that music, but I think clearly we're on the same yeah. thing right now. Yeah, but I did make me think about how I interacted with the mall right when I was younger. But I. I pretended to be a skater at that time in my life. So did I. So I hung out mostly <laughs> in the in the parking lot. Sure. And, yeah. and I think that that's another aspect of malls is malls are a real signal of uh, car-centric uh, architecture. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so the parking lots were just fucking endless. Mm-hmm. And, um, and often like that alone felt like a liminal space, just like the endless parking lot. And if you live, you know, once again, Midwest America, I've talked to people who grew up in like Kansas. I don't know what it's like where you grew up, Clark, but I know a lot of people who grew up and they were like parking lots are where we hung out. That's like, that was our spot. I know for me, my high school parking lot is where a bunch of my inceptional memories happened. Yeah, but you were probably cool and drinking. Yeah, I, I was, uh, I was, I ha- was and have always been a gentleman. And we don't <laughs> hang out in parking lots. <laughs> where did you hang? Did you have a mall? The pores. That's where the. That's where no, you got to hang out. Did you have a mall? Did though? you have a mall? Like, in we have, well, I grew up. I grew up in a you know a, a town of four thousand people. So uh, we did not have a mall where I grew up. The mall was a uh, half hour away. 
but you, in Jackson. In Jackson, but you go to the mall? We'd go to the mall. Oh, of course. Yeah. Like an event? Like, oh shit, we're going to the mall. I mean, it's yeah, you know, that's where the the movies were at the mall. Okay. Uh, and then the movies grew to other places. Uh, there was a, a Krispy Kreme near the mall. Oh, hell yeah. So, you know, you you, you hit all the major spots. Do you have an, you have an in and out over there, too? Um, you know, you also know what was near the mall. In the, in the, in the prime days of the mall, North Park Mall in oh, yeah. Jackson, Mississippi. Yeah, yeah. Next to the mall was the Discovery Zone. Oh, fuck yeah. So, I mean, you're hitting all the main arteries there. Yeah. We had the jungle out here. Discovery Zone. Oh, no. it was like the not. It was jungle. Yeah, jungle. yeah, yeah. yeah. Was, All yeah. these spaces that felt it like talk about back rooms. Like those places felt eternal, like endless, infinite spaces. As a kid, yeah. You look at them now; it's probably like two rooms. You know, yeah. that just like some tunnels in a ball pit. Hundred <laughs> percent. You know, uh, <laughs> and a rolly slide. <laughs> um, you know, it's this is like gonna McDonald's be McDonald's play place. Kind of our Christmas episode, right? Right before it. So I'm gonna give you all a gift. I'm gonna tell you if you made it this far. Uh, TBR is coming back, and we're gonna. Oh. It's coming back next week. And the homework I was given, I snuck a peek. It's from Kane Pixels, the guy that did the back room. Oh, yeah. If you look at his YouTube, he's got a different thing up there now. Yeah, he's from Marin, right? I don't know. I will tell you, we did show the back rooms at uh, Unnamed Footage Fest. I think he's from Marin. The only thing I can tell you that was interesting that yielded out of screening that, which clearly it was already very viral online, yeah. but we got to it early enough that he responded and gave us an okay. But, uh, oh, I mean, he submitted. Uh, after that movie aired and we got everything back, it's the almost, I think it might be the closest to a near-perfect review that we've ever gotten in any movie. And I think it's only because somebody gave it a four. Out of five. I think that that movie and the idea of the backrooms in general, and to some people, Skinnamarink, uh, spoke to a collective nightmare that everyone was having as a culture. That it just like, it really, the backrooms really took off. It really spoke to people. Everyone felt like they'd been in that room. And it's yeah. like, it's weird that we created this collective nightmare. Just like uh, in Mall Walk, Blair describes in the early episode getting lost in Kmart. And whether it really happened to you or not, a lot. It's been proven in, in experiments that people can tell kids, don't you remember the time you got lost in Walmart or Kmart or something like that? Mm -hmm. And whether it happened to the kid or not, they will generate a false memory of it happening. Yeah. Because it's one of those universal like fear responses you can imagine happening. Also, you've been to the fucking Target out here by <laughs> Tan Fran. Yeah, the Saramonte. So confusing. Oh, no, different one, the yeah. Target. No, the Target one. Yeah, they're, the like register is yeah. facing the mall, but yeah. there's entrances on the other end. But God no help you if you want to get something out of a locked cabinet. Like <laughs> toothpaste. <laughs> can't even get goddamn toothpaste. I, want, I was buying a garbage. baby monitor that was locked, of course, because it was like $200. And I, I asked, I swear, five people. And they were like, I don't know what to do. I don't know who has the key to that. You know? Oh, they don't care anymore people will just be rude that's yeah. not me yeah like well, go find another one in a red shirt well you know they're not getting paid enough to care so yeah. <laughs> like, like i understand i don't know you know i've worked a lot of shitty jobs and i always felt the crushing weight of being polite in society well i'm a even when guy. people are very fucking rude yeah sit not there even. and be like and i did a lot of food work and I, you never tampered with anything. Everybody like, hates their job. No, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I do. I'm, that's I'm, how I feel. I'm in yeah. between. I've worked cafes. I've worked bars. I've been a teacher. So I dealt with parents and I've worked, um, delivery and all those jobs you interact with customers, whether the customers are buying coffee or you're teaching their mm -hmm. kids, I match energy. That's my attitude. If someone comes <laughs> in and they're like, I'm so sorry. Like, I know this is inconvenient, but could you please? And then I'm like, oh, it's okay. It is a little inconvenient, but I'm going to help you. In any way. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas if someone, if someone comes in and they're like, 
what the hell is wrong with this coffee? And I was like, what the hell is wrong with your attitude, bro? Like you just match the energy. That's, that's <laughs> see, I come from the opposite side. You counter that energy because then, because that's where you get the power. Yeah, yeah. This is speaking from someone who has years of, uh, Escalation, uh, okay, yeah, technicians, escalators. You mean de-escalation? I, I am a de-escalation expert. <laughs> I mean, I do that with kids, but with parents, I'm not putting up with it. <laughs> oh, see, here's the thing. Well, because I, I had a job for years where you know I would have to handle high-end escalations from real estate agents and oh God. and people who didn't have their air conditioning working in you know Terrell, Texas, and it's 98 degrees, mm-hmm. and so they call me when it's you know, Nick Lachey's in their house. Yeah, <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> so that's the thing when they come in hot. You got to play good cop, baby. I mean, you got to bring their energy down. Tell them that I, 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 nothing I'm saying is any consequence of you getting your air conditioning, but I'm doing it in a tone that is friendly, also with a southern accent, and that helps everybody. Yeah, you're charming. It's a little bit easier. <laughs> Sultry tones. That's of the, the thing. You just you you bring them down. I think that I I guess when you, when you put it that way, and then it, you it, kick them. It is. And a good then you give them the stick. <laughs> but I'd like to remember. I'd like to remind everyone that at the same time that the lim- the liminal space in the back rooms was popping off in the internet culture sphere, uh, the fuck you Karen was popping off oh, yeah, in the culture yeah. sphere, oh, sure. and everyone was like, "Why don't you get the manager for yourself, bitch?" You know, and like that was everywhere, and everyone was like, "It's time for us all to imagine we're in an endless yellow room, and it's time for us to tell Karen with the bob cut to get the fuck out of Starbucks." Yeah. You know, like and like those things happen in culture at the same time. For some reason, it's nice. It's nice though. I'll say this. I guess when it's high stakes, someone's spending a lot of money. I'm dealing with someone's kid. I'm a little more prone to de-escalation. When someone comes in and they're complaining about something I don't even understand, and I'm working a minimum wage job, sure. I, I can't be fucked. You know, I don't care. And I get that with the mall too. I mean, the mall stereotypically, when you go watch like Stranger Things season three, it's where teenagers worked. That was the whole point of it, yeah. right? It was like your first job. So you want like someone at the Megaplex who's 16 years old to care they don't know they don't know what's going on and i'll say the people at stonestown they do care the guy <laughs> they kick those kids on their phones out they care but oh my now were you a sam goody guy <laughs> dillard's was all about dillard's <laughs> oh boy no i did go to sam goody as a kid and kmart too i have distinct memories of blue light specials in kmart and uh, when i first heard power pcme's album i was like i've heard this music in kmart before genuinely because kmart i think this is where mall came out of before the Molosov genre popped off, someone released all of Kmart's tapes onto the internet because Kmart could not play licensed music in their stores. ASCAP would get them or whatever. Hmm. So from the 90s to 2000s, someone like on SoundCloud up- uploaded all the Kmart tapes. And it's just the most generic music ever that was literally composed for Kmart. Uh-huh. And out of that, in a large way, the Molosov genre was born. And so you'd be shopping and it would be like, you know, generic music, uh, the, that sounded like music from the background of a movie, but it was in the background of your life. Yeah, yeah. And so we all like remember it. Now, vaguely. what about the KKK Mark tapes? <laughs> that might Dude. be where you're from. <laughs> <laughs> now, okay. So you're, you're taking on a real story and yeah. you choose, well, much like my real story, it was, which was uh, met with a firm rejection of my uh, vaporwave enjoyment. Why, why is that like the best back piece for this story? It was sort of a, a fortunate coincidence that it was a 2000s nostalgia piece. We've just gotten enough space from 2004, you know, 19 years, about to be 20 years. We've just gotten enough space from 2004 that we can look back on the aughts and especially the early aughts 
as a culturally distinct moment. There's lots of like, look at the outfits, look at the culture, look at the way we talked about women. You're, you're <laughs> going to have to walk me through that. I've thought a lot about the aughts and I'm like the defining, and I almost thought it was defined by how undefined it was. It was defined by the internet pretty much. Eating. And Creed. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's actually onto something there. Yeah, okay. It was defined a lot by the kind of mute, yeah. but also like, it's called the I would say to be a bummer, uh, the things that defined the, the early aughts were um, the war on terror okay. and and our fear of the war on terror. America uh, dealing with how it felt about torture through horror movies uh-huh. and through the Passion of the Christ. Uh, and cheese stuffed pizza crust. <laughs> <laughs> Eating disorders also. All right. <laughs> it was all about the skinniest you could possibly be. Our our it girl of the moment was Tara Reid and uh, Paris Hilton. And um, it was... Yeah, dude. Yeah. Cheerful of Hewitt. It would, <laughs> Remember Allie McBeal? I think about her whenever I think of like Calista. Skeletor people. I think yeah. of that baby dancing. <laughs> the oh, baby, it's hard. That's vaporwave. Yeah, yeah. That baby dancing. I also think that the 2000s were majorly defined by, um, I, I, it's the beginning of what we now very clearly, when we look at the world stage, talk about end of empire. You know, it's like America crossing okay. out of its golden years into, well, because- uh, I'm gonna get real preachy for a hot second, and I'm not revealing any kind of political belief. If the <laughs> if the if the point of 9/11 was to destabilize America, right? Uh-huh. Mission accomplished. Yeah. Because like because like it absolutely worked. I don't know if you remember the vibes in 2003, 2004, but it was people were fucking terrified, and and the conversation that people would have at church. And yes, I was a church attender in my mm-hmm. early teens about the Iraq War and about all that stuff and a draft and you know, making these movies like Jarhead and all this stuff was like some people were like genuinely drawing lines in the sand yeah you know know, and other people were like we are becoming a fascist state and i remember that's now all that anyone talks about and Uh that was when it started you know like coming out of like reagan clinton boom times into like end of empire decay of and and the surveillance state and the torture state and so i think that like as a teenager i watched 9-11 when i was 11 and then I graduated into the housing crisis. And okay. so it was genuinely like, yeah. it was genuinely like the most disillusioning time to go through your formative years. I think it actually helped. Like, I know conspiracy theories get wrapped up there a lot, but I think it made people both aware that we are on like a global stage. Like, yeah. it's not like, I know like the continent is kind of alone. So yeah. like, we're not Europe. We don't share borders with other major countries. Right. But I also think it made, you know, it made us realize like, oh, well, we do s- share a planet. But at the same time, I remember people being angry and like, well, and also arrogant, like, well, let's just fucking murder them. Like, you know, yeah, you know, I know, I know. And, and I, but then we pivot and then we like, you know, the housing crisis comes in. It's like, oh, okay. I guess even when a really exciting national thing happens, my life will never change. Yeah. You're never going to see anything positive in your lifetime. Or, or it's just, it just is like, it's just like a uh, neutral all the time. Well, like if you're like a middle class or, I mean, I wasn't, but like if you're living like the mall walk life, yeah. you're kind of like, well, no matter what happens out there, this is always going to be the, the permanent. Well, the psychic reality of it did change because in the sense that um, first of all, we realized maybe in that moment that while we don't share borders like a European country, we do have military bases all over the oh, world. Yeah. And that's what people were reacting to. And then uh, Tra- Trey and Matt released Team America World Police. Uh-huh. And that was the first time a lot of kids heard that slogan. They're like, what do you mean world police? It's like, well, that's what other countries yeah, yeah. think of America. You know, we're the world police. And then we started to be like, wait, what are you talking about? And like, I think at 11 or 12 years old, I started there the first time to understand like, 
what do you mean we are the world empire of America? Like, I didn't understand yeah. that context and all that global critique started happening. And, uh, and you would regularly encounter people who were like ready, who were telling you there was an invisible enemy at every turn. And the only solution to it was a torture chamber sanctioned by the government. And then you were watching movies like Passion of the Christ, Saw and Hostile, Hostile, yeah. the Hostile, Hostile, where the entire country was reckoning with torture as a concept. And so it was a weird time to grow up. And I feel like there was this like, I don't know if this was normal at all times, but there was this like latent sadism in the way everyone talked and discussed things. It was very unsettling. And there was also, God, I'm being so fucking morbid. Late 90s, <laughs> late 90s into the 2000s, the rise of the school shooting. Like uh-huh. it started happening more you know, and more and more often. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. And that's kind of Because Vaporwave might even, it might even just be that simple, like. Remember when the mall was like a boring place? Yeah, where you didn't get scared being in a crowd. Right. Yeah. And, th- and this isn't a shooting, but this is a massacre perpetrated by a mentally ill teenage boy, which is what came to define America in the yeah, arts. So <laughs> why know? isn't your podcast all Marilyn Manson music, dude? <laughs> uh, well, we do have Trent Reznor. Oh, and um, <laughs> and that's, Randy's the, hard. That's, that's, oh, that's one thing I wanted to say. Walk. I wanted to give a big shout out to... Trent Reznor, because what a great guy. Oh, well, dude, um, just bring him in the room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, next day. Of course. No, he hurt himself today. <laughs> as Of course, wow. as I'm, I'm editing the, um, the podcast and I'm helping Celia put the music together, I get all these awesome Vaporwave Mall soft musicians to agree to let us use their music. Mm-hmm. Uh, Power PC, Make Cat System, Corp, Disconscious. I get KG Heiner to let me use the music. And then I'm getting too ambitious. And I say, what would it fucking take? for me to put some nine inch nails in this project because mm-hmm. it fits so perfectly with the vibe of the two thousands. I listened to a ton of nine inch nails when I was in middle school and high school. So it just feels right. Um, yeah. So, where's the corn and like limp biscuit, dude? It, well, you know, I wanted to capture more of the dream image. <laughs> yeah. Also good luck contacting Fred Durst and Tom DeLong and uh, oh, all those yeah. guys. But so I look it up and I'm like, we're going for sort of a, we're going for sort of a echo of a dream of the two thousands here. And nine inch nails is perfect. And it's also, it's a, it's a story that involved pipes breaking and involved jackhammers music. That sounds like machines is perfect. Um, what sounds more like a dying machine than nine inch nails. So I'm like, okay, how do I contact nine inch nails? It's a whole fucking process. There's no fucking way it's going to happen. Lo and behold, the, just the mensch of the hour, Trent Reznor and uh, Atticus Finch and, and the nine inch nails crew have released two albums into the creative commons. Yeah. And those albums are ghosts parts one through four and the slip. And both of those albums are creative commons. And so we utilized, and I want to say the climax of this whole story when <laughs> Blair Van Auken confronts his friend Conrad in the aquarium, right before he hammers into well, don't a, ruin anything. I'm not well, done we with say it in yet. the first, we say in the first speech that this is okay. what happens when he hammer, when he jackhammers into a hammerhead shark tank uh-huh. right before that, we got to needle drop. Clark's always talking about the needle drop. Lights in the sky. <laughs> Lights in the sky by Nine Inch Nails, which involves Trent Reznor's voice because uh-huh. that's in the creative commons. We got the needle drop that at the climax of the story. And I just want to say- You two I, didn't flag that? <laughs> no, because it's it flagged, hey, we noticed you have Nine Inch Nails music. And then I look under the copyright and it said, the uh, creator has licensed this music for creative oh, commons yeah. because it can be used huh. by anyone. And dude, fuck yeah, Trent Reznor. What a, what a man. No. He, they have a history with that because I remember I had friends who would go on their website where they would put up a bunch of like kind of like raw recordings yeah. and they're just like, hey, play with them. Do whatever you want. I think that's the reason you brought up Marilyn Manson, who's canceled now. I think that's the reason <laughs> I think that's the reason why Marilyn Manson and Trent Reznor, who sort of walked the same cultural line in the 2000s, why one has more staying power than the other. 
Um, I brought up Manson because of the uh, Columbine shit. Yeah. Right? Wasn't right. he like... He well, was, plus Reznor had lower overhead because he didn't have to buy all the makeup. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He still had to like cultivate a public persona, but you got to sense more that it was a persona than who he really was. Uh-huh. Like seeing Trent Reznor on those early albums where he's all gothed up, you know, and seeing him now and he's like someone's dad in a garage with a, yeah. with a drum machine. It's like, it's very clear that Marilyn Manson wanted the groupies. He wanted the, the rock star yeah, lifestyle. Yeah, he wanted to be a rock star, yeah. And, you know... We all heard the urban legend that he took his ribs out to suck his own dick and mm-hmm. <laughs> all that stuff. Sick. And um, and he wanted to cultivate that persona, and it sounds like he might have used it to be something of a creep. Whereas Trent Reznor was genuinely, I think, just a music nerd. Yeah, well, you know? Trent Reznor also gets the critique of like, oh, he's not depressed anymore. That's why his music's bad. That's why his music's great. Have yeah. you listened to the? Have you, mm-hmm. I, I think recent Nine Inch Nails albums are still really good. I mean, like that's my opinion. Yeah. I, what do you think, Randy? You like the recent Nine Inch no, Nails? No, I albums? agree too. Yeah, yeah, they're really good. And he's like, he's revealed that he's more of like a music theory guy. Yeah. He's like, I really just want to compose great music. And he, uh, when you listen to the first album, I go back and I listen to Pretty Hate Machine, which by the way, would have been a, just as good a name for the band as Nine Inch Nails. Because mm-hmm. if you had to describe the sound of Nine Inch Nails, it's a sexy hate machine. You know, like that's literally okay. what it is. Um, he was kind of coming out of like new order and stuff. It's weird to think that he, and so I'm going to give him credit for genuinely creating like the industrial sound. So Dude, I'm nothing but love and respect for for Trent Reznor and Nine Inch Nails and the part that they've gotten to play in my project <laughs> and I uh, or Celia's project that I've helped with. I really hope that Trent Reznor listens to the podcast. I really do. Nick, I, you know, <laughs> you're such a learned dude. I'm kind of bummed out that your first venture into like art is doing a fucking what would, what would what would the equivalent of like a uh, a docudrama like true crime. I would like, call isn't this, that lowbrow? I would call this feature journalism. That's how I yeah, would describe no, it. Sure. <laughs> no, what is the shit you like to watch on Netflix, Clark? Like where it's docu-series? like series, cool shit. It's like a murder happened, and we're gonna take crime. eight hour true crime docu series. That's yeah. what's popping right now. That. Yeah, but it's lowbrow. Dude. Man, Didn't you li- watch fucking Black Mirror? Okay, let me just be very clear about something, Clark. I mean, uh, Russell, <laughs> um, but also defending that. Clark's taste. Um, <laughs> okay, first of all, he put me in that corner. I did not. My wife off. loves that stuff too, the docu series, and so does everyone right now. Um, I um, I tried when I was in college at KWS to do a, uh, a murder horror radio series called Evening Shadows, it's still somewhere on Bandcamp, and I would write radio plays, and we would do that. Then I did the Cinematic Oblivion uh, movie review podcast, and we never got too much friction. And then finally, my friend Celia says, I'm doing a true crime podcast. I like your sound design. Do you want to help me do sound design for this and edit it and get music for me and uh, maybe help me get interviews? And I said, sure, because I want to work on something. And it had more legs than anything else because people like true crime docuseries. That's what people want to listen to. And malls. And malls. People well, that's are the thinking joke. about them all. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure you've done the, I mean, God, Scary Thoughts used to do it. We would talk about it. It's like, well, if we wanted people to listen to our podcast, we should have just done true crime. Yeah, well. Because they're blowing up. Well, but then fucking- it's a good thing you didn't because the, like one of the most popular true crime podcasts was uh, My Favorite Murder. And they're getting raked through the coals now. For being, well, because like they started as like, we're just girlies who smoke weed and talk about crimes. And it turned into like, we support the fascist police state. <laughs> like, oh, okay. Well, because it, tur- it turned very quickly into like victim blaming and like we need to give police unfettered access they to got everything. so popular yeah, and yeah. it's like it happens i don't know? think they could handle the political ramifications of what discussing crime actually means because uh-huh. like when you talk about crime it is fun to be like this nasty crime happened and it, look at all the details but when you start getting into like this crime convinced me that the police need uh that we need a 
a total surveillance state. Like now you've made a political statement. You know? I feel like, like that's like, that's the normal trajectory of people learning shit though. Is like you start here and then you go way the other way and then you realize like, oh, it's probably somewhere in the middle. The only reason we wanted to talk about this crime is because almost no one has. In fact, okay. that's one of the biggest complaints we've gotten from people listening to the podcast is I can't find anything about this on the internet. And I think that's almost by intention is that like the Royal Gallery like scrubbed this shit. And so like we're trying to, do what journalism does, which is bring a story that not a lot of people are talking about. And then the second thing is we don't really make any statement one way or the other about how it could have been prevented or anything other than kind of, and we're not even also trying to excuse it. I know other people say there's too much focus on mental health and that kind of thing uh -huh. nowadays. Russ, what you're looking for, if you want to find my old radio show, is eveningshadows.bandcamp.com. Okay, damn it. Um, <laughs> it is um, still up there? It's still up there, and it's what I used to do at KDBS back in the day. Uh, it was a radio horror show. We had a few really good episodes, and we had a few really cheap, bad episodes. But um, it's still all there. And that was the show I used to make in KBS. By the way, on that show, I didn't give a fuck about the rights to the music. I used whatever music I felt like. And uh, no one Welcome ever, to the Overlook and, and, no one, and no one ever called me on it. Um, uh, so then why change, dude? Yeah, well, be, it was a lot of energy to put that shit together. Um, yeah. The one other thing I want to talk about uh, with Mallwalk, because I do think anyone interested in true crime should listen to it. But also, if you're not into true crime and you just like a good story, it's just a good story. And it's, and it's interesting that we got all of this together. I also want to mention... Trent Reznor is a real G when the story, um, when the story, when I realized the story was about a hammerhead shark attack in part, because, uh, there was a flood in this mall and the mall had an aquarium and a hammerhead shark bit two people and killed them. Yeah. Ridiculous. I immediately said, who is the expert in the world on hammerhead sharks? And Eli Roth. It, <laughs> oh, good guess, dude. It's uh, R.L. Stein, right? For deep trouble. Or it's yeah. the guy who made the flipper remake. Cause there's a the hammerhead shark attack at the end of flipper. It's actually this guy named Dr. Peter Kimley, who's an animal behaviorist at UC Davis. I went to UC Davis. That's where I made Evening Shadows. I was on KDBS. So I email him. I say, we're telling the story about this hammerhead shark attack. Remember this happened? And he goes, don't ever call it an attack. The shark didn't attack anybody. It bit people as a stress response. And he was pissed off when I first emailed him because he's lived his whole life defending sharks. Of course. And he's like, you want to tell me, talk about a fucking shark killing somebody? Fuck you. Um, he was you nice. love sharks. You hate people. He was nice in that. He, he, <laughs> he did email me. He did email me. Why are you demonizing hammerheads? Shame on you. He did genuinely email me that. And I said to him, I really think you're misunderstanding me. I think hammerheads have been demonized throughout much of culture. I'm here to talk about what might have been going through the shark's head. What's their behavior? And he agreed to an interview with me. And I have a genuine interview with Dr. Peter Kimley of UC Davis talking about shark behavior. He's dived with hammerheads in the Farallon uh -huh. Islands. And he was like the first one to be like, I just want to make it very clear that if you're going to tell this story, uh, I want you to tell it from the shark's perspective. And I want you to tell it about how stressed the shark must have been feeling to be in a flood in a mall. And just we finding did. Nemo? <laughs> we did. That's, I want to know what was going through his only, head. That's only episode five. Was but, the shark thinking about nails all day? I mean, I just want to say the last thing we intended to do was either justify the mental illness of young boys as an excuse for violent crime or demonize hammerhead sharks. So we didn't want to, we didn't want to do either one. Did the shark have a name? Uh, yeah, it was St. Paul and St. Dennis were the two sharks. And the one that went on the uh, rampage was St. Paul. St. Dennis died. Uh, it should have been named. It's always St. Paul. <laughs> it should have been named MC. <laughs> MC Hammerhead. Oh, I like that. Thank you. I was going to make a nine inch nails joke. Also, Randy, what were you saying that about the night? It was uh, nine one inch nails. No, that's what I was saying. It's not, yeah, it's nine one That's what it was? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Reznor was talking about. Oh, is that what it's supposed to be? people always think of like the hand, like I, a nine inch nail. I, yeah. no, I thought it was a nine inch like bolt that you put into like Jesus's arm or nine something. Nine one inch nails. I really think, listening to their first album, that the band should have been called Pretty Hate Machine because that perfectly explains the sound of the band. And that is their first album. 
because it's sexy, it's sexy, pessimistic industrial music. So it's genuinely a pretty hate machine, you know? Yeah. yeah Nine Inch Nails is kind of confusing though. And I feel like the Blair Witch taught us that that works. Yeah. <laughs> like the ending. Yeah, like, what do I don't, we don't like that ending. Yeah, what does that, what does that mean? I'm confused. Well, I hope that's also will draw people to Malmok. Cause I'm not, pr- I'm not promising anyone answers. We did a lot of investigating. We don't have answers at the end for why. Yeah, journalists happened. never have answers. <laughs> for us. Maybe you'll have an answer if you listen to it. Um, the one other angle I wanted to talk about, and this is where I actually went deep into the world of fiction and urban legend to kind of try to uncover it mm-hmm. is at the time that this massacre happened, a lot of people said that the reason this kid lost his mind, he went into the mall already and having a depressive episode, according to his friend. And he brought him to the mall to try to cheer him up because they were teenagers who were just like basically mall rats and would just hang out at the mall all the time. Uh, he went into a arcade at the, um, at the uh, Palace Arcade, which was in the Megaplex in the Royal Galleria. And he played this lost video game called Otranto. You cannot find copies of it anymore. It sounds kind of like from descriptions, like it's kind of like Castlevania sort of side scroller, but with like weird graphics and like confusing, um, almost like hypnotic gameplay. And immediately, what do I think of? The same thing the rest of the internet thinks of, Polybius. And I immediately start thinking about the Polybius myths. You know the Polybius urban legend, I right? I think um, Angry Video Game Nerd did an episode. A lot of people have talked about it. Polybius it, yeah. is said to be a game that was run by the CIA, or some people said it caused headaches and stuff like that, or it caused people to pass out. I want to point out that a lot of people have now ascribed the fact that Polybius was probably a mixture of different factors, namely one of which uh, is that the... Um, arcades were actually like hotbeds of drug dealing and sex trafficking in the oh, 80s. Okay. Yeah. And so like kids would go missing at arcades and it wasn't necessarily related to like a cursed game or the CIA. But this game, it's like people have had all sorts of like weird mental episodes around video games and songs and media. I'm always fascinated when that happens, when someone's like becomes obsessive over a piece of media and it becomes like the symbol of their madness. You know, Howard Hughes, apparently when he reached his like ultimate madness, he watched the movie Ice Station Zebra on repeat, which who even knows what that is. And then also <laughs> that kid who murdered his parents so he could throw a house party apparently listened to Little Boosie's Feel Lucky, I think, 20 times in a row before killing his parents. So, well, I th- you know, again, as, as a um, curator of found footage, shit, sure. I think about this constantly. The King in Yellow. Well, yeah, the King in Yellow, but also even on like a Game Boy level. Yeah. Like the idea that um, I am an angsty teenager and I don't want to talk to my parents, but outside of that, I don't really know anybody. Yeah. And I have a major relationship with this Pokemon game. Yeah. And I'm like, well, of course the internet would start making horror stories about that. Yeah, about the the recurring dream. But also like, okay, here's what we kind of got into when we were talking about Otranto. We interviewed, uh, or Celia interviewed got a phone call from a woman who said she played it at a flea market in Folsom on Folsom street in Sacramento back yeah. in the nineties. And she said it was kind of, you know, when you've played like Tetris or some other game and you like close your eyes and you like still see the blocks falling Rock into band. place yeah. and they call it like the Tetris effect where like you play Mario Kart too long and suddenly like you close your eyes to go to bed and you just see the track like spinning. Rock band. I would get that like legitimately yeah, bad. Legit, yeah. Like, yeah. So apparently this game would create that effect to the point that people were having like double vision is what she reported. And she would like play it at this flea market and then would have to like sit in her car and like not go. It's kind of like, Oh, you had that thing at a off the, what happened to penguin? What was the thing called? <laughs> catastrophe <laughs> crow. Yeah. Catastrophe crow. Penguin. What happened, Batman to, villain what happened to catastrophe crow? It's like that story, yeah. right? Like that kind of thing. Um, or there's actually another uh, podcast called The Polybius Conspiracy about someone who claims they played Polybius and then got kidnapped by the CIA. Okay. So, like, there's all these stories. I immediately went to what media from the actual 80s, 90s, 2000s depicted that. First up, I ended up with our boy Billy Brent because his first movie, Stay Alive, oh. is about a killer video game. Yeah. But what is the best killer video game or video game that drives you crazy media? It is a very 
buried vignette from a vignette horror film. There's a vignette horror film from 83 called Nightmares. It is not that great. It is pretty uneven. It is four vignettes. I would say, I know you have your 12-point scale. I'll try to do a 10-point scale real quick. I would say, do you want to do a 12-point scale for to make this easy? I would say the, I would <laughs> yeah, say, I would say the, the first vignette is the first vignette is a seven or an eight. Okay. The second vignette is like an 11 or a 12. Oh, the third vignette is a nine or a 10. And the fourth vignette is a two or a three. Okay. So it is like the most wildly uneven vignette film of all time. Um, starting with Terra and Topanga, b- average, uh, then skipping the second because I'm going to talk about it in a second. The third called uh, The Benediction is like a 9 or a 10, really good, but maybe a little minimal. The third, the fourth one called Night of the Rat is so bad. It's the one reason I didn't try to organize a screening Night of this at the Balboa. The Damn. But the second vignette from this film, Nightmares, 1983, starring Emilio Estevez as oh. a arcade shark. Like he goes to arcades around LA and he hustles people. He pretends to be, <laughs> he pretends to be bad, loses a few, loses some money, and then and then says, let's bet like, 20 bucks, 30 bucks. And then on, when once he's gotten them to bet a lot of money, he fucking owns, you know? And so he's a video game hustler. He's hustling money all so he can go to a mall and go to this arcade and play a game called The Bishop of Battle. Okay, and Minnesota he does, fats over He here. does, yeah. <laughs> and he does everything he can to play this game, The Bishop of Battle. And as far as we can tell, this vignette, The Bishop of Battle, predates reports of the Polybius game. So this, oh, okay. so this vignette from a 1983 film may be the earliest iteration of of a Polybius type myth. And I'm thinking it's based on similar ideas to what this game of Toronto was, was kind of how it was affecting people. And the way that they do the eighties effects and the music and the Bishop of battle vignette, um, was entirely what I used to inform the aesthetic of the music I commissioned and the aesthetic of how we edited the episode about Otranto, which is episode three, and it's our most listened to episode. Since then, I've had people... That's where I'm at. I've had, really I've had, like I've had people on TikTok and people on YouTube yelling at me saying, I can't find anything about this game. I don't know where it exists. I've looked everywhere. I've asked all my gamer friends, dude, me fucking too. Why are you getting mad at me about it? But our TikTok about the Otranto game, half a million views. Because yeah. that's what is brought- Dude, that's more yeah. than our TikTok. That's what yeah. brought the gamer. The, once the gamers get activated, they show up for shit. I think uh, the proper way to find this podcast is either one, listening to our show, but two, if I stumbled upon it, it would be perfect. And a lot of people stumbled upon it. They didn't give a fuck about context. Yeah. It's a whole story. It's a six-part story. It's not that long. It's four hours total. I have no. it uploaded as one four-hour video on Mall Walk Podcast YouTube channel. But a lot of people have opted to say, I don't care about the context. I don't care about the massacre at the mall. They just skip straight to episode three of Toronto. They only want to hear about the video game, which is fine. I mean, at least you're listening to some of it, but there's a bigger story. At no respect here. for the shark. <laughs> for the shark. Yeah. Wait, now, can I ask you, how long did it take to like edit and curate like yeah. something... It took a while, six months, I'd say. Yeah. So we started recording all the interviews in the summer. And then there were also some, like, we didn't know if we were going to get Dr. Peter Kimley to, yeah. to speak. So, like, we didn't know the structure of the of the story till we got some interviews. We started with Blair Von Auk- Van Auken's interview. And then he mentioned some other people being there in the mall. So Celia tracked them down. She got an interview with Wes Barker, who was the security guard. That was huge. He's throughout most of the episodes. And then there's, like, an incident where in episode two, The Crucible of Creation, he talks about how this woman and her uncle who had Alzheimer's were like having an episode by the fountain. Mm-hmm. And she actually found Jackie uh, Pulveri, who's the woman from that incident and interviewed her too. And then also there, this construction worker who confronted him with, or he stole the jackhammer from a specific construction yeah. worker who now uh, runs a sunflower farm near Sacramento. She got an interview with him. Wait, hold on. I have a question. Randy, that show, like, I know this is probably a couple of years ago, but you turned me onto a show that had Rain Wilson as playing a character. Radio rental. Oh, yeah. Radio rental. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing... It's kind of like... That was... 
I listened to that too. So no, the thing about Radio Rental is there's this like kind of, it's ambiguous whether it's like scripted or not. But I always, the thing that stood out to me was that their recordings had a particular kind of like, we didn't plan for this. We cut the audio, inserted shit, and then we pick it back up. Like, yeah. I, like how how did you? Because it sounds similar on yours. Yeah, no, that's exactly what it's like. Uh, we had to plan all sound design and music and the entire structure of an episode around what we got from interviews. Uh, yeah. So we kind of backwards engineered it from the interviews. Okay. So we yeah. had Blair's whole thing running through it. And Blair kind of formed the through line. But then when he would mention other people, this construction or not, he didn't mention the construction. But when he mentioned the security guard, he mentioned this woman at the fountain, and then also we hear from like a guy in the arcade who. Saw the first psychotic break happen and then mentioned being on the air hockey table with this construction worker. It's like we had to, we had to like find these people. And so Celia was like doing all this investigative journalism and hunting people down. She hunted down the maker of the Otranto game. He died years ago in the, in, um, what's called Bolton Strid. Which mm, is how convenient. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, here's, okay. Now, you're, so there's some people we couldn't contact. Hold on. Now, your, your poor wife, she has to deal with this shit. While she's because I I can just pregnant. we can feel it in the room your excitement for this yeah and a fun just project the deep research that you've done in like every fucking aspect so when you because I, I feel it dude I feel the kin soul here sure we're, we're kindred sure. and whenever I get fucking excited about some shit nobody cares about yeah Oksana's the victim yeah and I have to like just like she's very supportive of I, I she <laughs> but I'm like do you do that too where it's just oh, like yeah. dude check this out there's this anthology horror film and like. Oh yeah. Well, okay. For, uh, it's a mixed bag. First of all, I'll say it. Celia did most of the research and the interviewing. So that took some weight off me. I was mostly kind of coordinating. I, she would give me the raw interviews and I would help her like, okay, here's how we're going to design the episode. Yeah. Like, layering these interviews together. And then also I was contacting musicians and being like, can we get your music? Can we get she your music? She gave you an inch and you turned it into a mile. And I also had this, <laughs> and I did something I'm sure Randy has had to deal with before. And I see you doing sound effects. I subscribed to a sound library and I was oh, spending okay. hours at a time finding the right sounds because some of them sound like shit and some of them sound really good. And then also occasionally editing the sound. So I would like take a sound and I would like add reverb or like just make it just sound. Just flip it. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Like, and that took forever. Um, so because I was trying to texture it to make it sound more like a docu-series where you like give it a little, re- a little bit of a, like a, this is a recreation of what happened. Not oh, too yeah. much. We didn't do any dialogue recreation, but we did sound effect recreation. Well, Radio um, Rental, you know, the other comparison there is that that's the show. It's like really building out that like. An audio scape and making that choice is such a choice because in the first few episodes I didn't do hey, a lot of that. It's great though, but when there's moments where they're like, I threw it and it landed, I'm like, we gotta have a splatter. Dude, it's there. so good and like stuff like, well, I'll give you a perfect example of my wife being supportive. And yes, there <laughs> there have been times where I've been probably like, I gotta watch the Bishop of Battle with Amelia Westhead, and she's like, have fun, and like uh-huh. goes in the other room. Um, but I there's the in the opening episode, the kind of first sign of Conrad. Uh, Cliff, who's the kid who got the jackhammer and caused this flood, being about to have a psychotic break was he started crying near this carousel and then chucked his orange Julius towards Mm -hmm. this carousel. And it's a moment in the story. And as I listened to it, I realized this is a moment. And so it's like he threw his orange Julius. That's why the security guard starts to intervene with them. And I said, we need a orange Julius hitting the ground sound. So I went down into my basement with just my voice memos app. I filled a red solo cup with ice and I threw it down the hallway and um, I played it for my wife. I played the, it in the context of the episode and she goes, mm, sounds like a plastic cup full of ice. Doesn't really sound like an orange Julius. She pulled up images of orange Julius cups from the 2000s and said yeah. it was a styrofoam cup full of smoothie and you got it. It doesn't sound right. And good, so good call. she was yeah. then the one who went into the freezer, pulled out a, a cardboard container of vanilla ice cream melted it a little and said, chuck this in the sink and then add echo to it. And I did. And it was the perfect sound. 
And so, like, she's I feel like why is just, she doing this I show? Know. You just ruined your career, right? <laughs> Celia, contact. Uh, go ahead, Brooke. Put, yeah. yeah. Well, that's the thing we need for the next. So Celia's already at work on her next project, which is a story about uh, something that happened at a truck stop in Eastern California. Hey and now. that's down the road. That's going to be. I'll just give you the title. It's going to be called Lonely Road, and we're, we're it's going to probably be a year out from now. We just started looking for interviews and trying to research this story. It's about lot lizards. <laughs> it, that might come into yeah, it. Yeah, it's also I love about. <laughs> <laughs> stuff like that but uh for you know for that we're really hoping we can get like a professional foley artist to help us out with the production like that would be dude if randy's thing. listening great. right here yeah randy's right there randy dude. do you do foley work he's day foley dude. not really it sounds like we have about the same skill set i did help uh <laughs> robbie with some sound effects on grieve uh oh basically well, adding like, reverb or compression or sound uh i bet you do like it more professionally than i did i would just take a sound download it throw it into GarageBand and put reverb for days filter on it. And that would be my echo. You know, <laughs> here's a weird plug, but Vice had a little like vignette on a, a Foley artist and she was talking about character in sound design. And she's like, you know, mostly what you would immediately think would make a good, uh, like stand in for a noise is usually the worst. Yeah. So she gave an example no, it's true. that haunted me. And she was like, snow, like you want people walking in that. She's like, you know what I would do? Get some charcoal, ground charcoal down, step on that with the boot. She's like, that's the kind of snow you want to hear, but you will never in real life. That's what's really um, was shocking to me is what the, the story is about a flood. And yeah. one of the hardest things to work with was water sound effects because <laughs> you just can't get the right kind of scope on them. Yeah. And when I'm talking about like a flooded mall, I'm like, this sounds like someone left the sink on. And so I would have to get like sounds of an ocean storm to evoke the scale I was trying to get people to think about, you know, cause the sound of a flood in a mall, while it might cause, you know, huge devastation, it's actually relatively quiet, Yeah. but this is a auditory medium. So I had to like literally get sounds of like a ship in the North sea during a squall and be like, this is my flood. Well, you and know? you have an opportunity if you're playing with liminal space, you might want to make it sound kind of like cavernous. In yeah. There t- yeah. Uh, it's a thing where you're like, I understand why people only do that. Yes. Yes. No, exactly. Exactly. Nothing sounds like what you want it to sound like. I will say the one sound I was like, whoa, that worked perfectly. was there's a part where someone violently pulls someone's sleeve up to show that they have suicide attempt marks on their arm. And I just put my arm next to the mic and pulled my sleeve up. And it was like perfect because it almost sounded like a knife cutting. And I was like, oh, okay. It's perfect because it evokes. It's like... Yeah. Whoa, dude. Yeah. Clark, did you just get yeah. yourself? <laughs> Nailed it. You know what? Fuck a Foley artist. Clark's going to make all the noises with his I'm mouth. fucking Michael Winslow over <laughs> here. Right? Do another one. <laughs> oh, dude, I was thinking helicopter. It's a helicopter. You're babe. psychic too. Didn't, wasn't there that movie with Brad Pitt and Tommy Lee Jones about space where Tommy Lee Jones made a bunch of the space noises with his mouth and they just pitched no them idea. down? That movie sucks. Yeah, it, <laughs> movie wasn't great, but I think it did end with Tommy Lee Jones was like, they were like, okay, we need a spaceship. And Tommy Lee Jones would be like, and then they would just pitch it down. That sounds about right. Dude, <laughs> it's all that's Tommy tight. Lee Jones. If it worked. Anyway, um, I think I've said most of what I wanted to say about this project. <laughs> and I just want to, I just, I just really uh, think that it is a nonfiction story, but we brought a creative sensibility to it that I think makes it more like yeah. something a- Sarah Koenig has never done. <laughs> Who? Shots fired. Hey. I know, I know you're uncultured. Hey, cereal, you know, I don't eat it anymore. <laughs> that boy. No one cared after season one. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, no was one gave a fuck town? about. Was no. that shit town? S town? No, it was S town cereal. Good. The cereal is Adnan Syed. 
I know. Oxana By the way, they've been trying to make though. the S-Town movie for a decade. <laughs> yeah, they probably should. Yeah. Yeah. Sarah Koenig showed us all how to do true crime podcasts. And and yes, we are trying to capture a little bit of that magic. But, you know, so is everyone. <laughs> um, we're not trying to make a political commentary so much. It's there without us meaning for it to be there. Because when you talk about the like 2000s, the ba- yeah. it emerges naturally, you know? Cool. So, so this story doesn't take place on or around January 6th? <laughs> it takes place on November 11th, 2004, oh, uh, where, uh, yeah, the Iraq war was going at that point, I believe. So, you know, yep. that's in there. Um, so anyone can listen to it at either anywhere you listen to podcasts. It's Mall Walk, not Mall Walking by Matt Gorley, but Mall Walk. It can be found on YouTube as Mall Walk Podcast, TikTok as Mall Walk Podcast, Instagram as Mall Walk Podcast, and online at mallwalkpodcast.com, which also includes show notes that have every song we feature linked and listed, including the original score. So people who just, even if you only come to this podcast because you like Mallsoft, Vaporwave, Nine Inch Nails, or KG Hino, it's all there. Every time you say mall soft, I just think of mall hard. <laughs> like walking like walking around the mall. Mall, mall hard mall is like hard. someone who listens to Gabber music while standing outside of Hot Topic. You know? just, I just imagine them stomping. I'm going mall hard. <laughs> Wait, now, the art, did you force your brother oh, to do that? Harry Nordlinger yeah. does the original artwork for, uh, he did Endless Escalators. It's sort of Escher-esque. I love it. It's and cool. uh, he did multiple uh, drafts, and we used every draft for yeah. different episodes. For YouTube, I, I really I enjoyed Well, because that. that's something that Blair describes a lot is like this insane network of escalators crisscrossing and mirrors and like feeling like you're in an Escher painting. And by the way, if you go to Westfield now, this is Royal Gallery, which is totally shut down. It's an abandoned building. You could break in, but I'm not recommending that. If you go to Westfield now, which is still open, but a dead mall pretty much. Yeah. It's not Westfield anymore. Yeah, what is it called now? I th- just... Uh, homeless town yeah. field <laughs> it should be it should be that they should just let people move in they should just like at this point just let people move in yeah but uh, like let people occupy nordstrom's i think but, it's sf city center or yeah, something something, like, something like, like that. that but whatever the the old west field you go up that central plaza up to the nordstrom's and you genuinely do get an escher effect going up the escalators yeah. it's like mirrors of escalators and you're in this endless loop and the top floor fours are abandoned the top four floors are abandoned. It is liminal space central. Wow. Yeah. That's fucking Anyway, Moloch Podcast. Thank you guys for having have me. You, um, have you ever seen an escalator kill somebody? I've only heard about it. And That's brutal. I think what is all- happening? <laughs> You've seen it happen? Nice. You've seen it happen. I don't want to hear about escalator deaths. I've watched a movie and I've watched, uh, dude, I, uh, I've fallen oh, on, on dark times. I want to briefly say that it's not, scheduled yet but i have talked to harry about i know you guys have done overlook podcast presents shows at the balboa right you, I, I mean uh, Uff does I that. Did, I mean, yeah. Uff, Uff is that right um but uh i in the works sometime in 2024 we're going to do a mall walk podcast presents mall horror double, double feature and what i want to show is uh phantom of the mall and chopping mall uh, obviously, Dawn of the Dead also fits in, but I think it's hard to get the rights to that. So we want to show Chopping Mall and Phantom of the Mall. Dawn and of the I, Dead is like the king of the mall, though. I know. But, I, but you should show the movies that kind of were like a precursor to Vaporwave, too. Well, I think those both, both fit. And also, I want to show between those two, I want to do a uh, entre-act show of the Bishop of Battle, of just the Bishop of Battle. I think I own that movie. I'm about Nightmares? to go watch it. Yeah, Dude, segment two and segment three, go hard. And then you can kind of do Is there a wraparound? No, no it was, rap. It, it was a TV uh, pilot, so they didn't even bother with that, you know. And yes, I'm all about the framing device. And if you do want the framing device vignette horror that's the same plot, there's an episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark 
called The Tale of the Pinball Wizard. I love it. It's my favorite. <laughs> Dude, it's, go- it's good. I love Are You Afraid of the Dark. It's, that's, yeah. it's, that's the best one. Yeah. I was yeah. thinking I think, of that. As soon as I think, yeah. anytime I hear about a haunted game, that's what yeah. my the mind is. The Pinball Wizard, right? 100%. Yeah. Which is the season finale of season one of Are You Afraid of the Dark. But in that, aren't they in a mall? Too? They're in a mall. Yeah. And he goes and plays a pinball machine. And then the pinball machine turns in, or he, the mall turns into the interior of the pinball machine. Yeah. So it's like, and it's medieval themed. Oh it was God. medieval themed. Holy shit. You beat me too. Yeah. Yeah. A collective unconscious, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe I, it's what inspired them all. Yeah. yeah chicken yeah. or the egg. Also, you yeah. know, you used fries as a framing yeah, device right, right, there. Right. Uh, did they, they didn't, they didn't do anything cool. Like a, I know they had the yes. UFO, Egyptian and the Western. So I grew up in Palo, Palo Alto and we had a fries that was themed like the wild west. Yeah. You'd yeah. walk in, it's the desert, you they know? Fi- yeah. I don't care. The dark age is cooler than that. Yeah. Well, I don't know. You know what I think about? I like the Palo Alto fries. The Egyptian yeah. one was just weird. Yeah. I like the Palo Alto fries. So a lot of memories there. And also, uh, I remember generally like there is, this is something we don't think about medieval, specifically the Royal Galleria was yeah. medieval themed. Medieval also iterates across different decades. So you have 70s medieval, you have 80s medieval, okay, you have 90s yeah. medieval. And 90s medieval, which the, the Royal Gallery was probably built in the 80s or 90s. So even in the 2000s, it had sort of a 90s medieval vibe to it. And in the food court, the central business was a round table pizza. When I think of 90s medieval, I think round table pizza. That was my first and job. I, and I think about how early round table was way more medieval themed than yep. current round table. I was so. there when it shifted. We had an old, uh, he was one of the first people to own the franchise. He played in the NFL. I've talked about him on here before. But he refused to let them paint the walls white. They were just brick. Yeah. And it's like, wait, you're going to make them white? That's like the most medieval yeah. thing about it. Am, like, am I crazy? Or did round table pizza used to have stained glass windows? I remember that vaguely I remember in my that mind too. too. Yeah. Like it was almost like a, like a cathedral yeah. divider yes, or something. Yes, exactly. Yeah. No, round table pizza used to feel like you were in a wacky castle. Yeah. You know, or like we were talking about pinball medieval, medieval madness, which is a 90s pinball game that's themed after a castle is like the ultimate 90s medieval vibe. I love that shit, dude. I fucking love that shit. And I miss round table pizza. Dang. Being like that. You 90s know? medieval. That's interesting. Yeah, I never yeah. thought. I, sorry. He got me thinking about the different decades and how they looked at medieval shit. You know what? And I'm going to just put give this to you to, to leave because I know we need to end the show. Start with mid-century medieval when the hippies did it in the 60s. And then go to John Borman, specifically a movie he was inspired by, by the art director of Empire Strikes Back called The Black Angel which used to show before Empire Strikes Back in UK cinemas, which then turned into John Borman's Excalibur in the 80s. And then you have 80s medieval. And then in the 90s, you had like First Night with Sean Connery. And so like- And Black Knight. And Black Knight. With Martin Lawrence. Oh, I love Black Knight. (laughs) That's 2000s. That's 2000s. I love Black And also there's the Black Knight 2000 pinball machine, which is from the 80s. Really, really good. Oh, fuck yeah. Yeah. We used the music from that in uh, Mall Walk episode three. And by the way, I want anyone listening to know, I emailed Steve Schmidt, who wrote all the music for pinball machines in the 80s and 90s. I said- (laughs) Do I have your blessing to use Black Knight 2000 and Sword of Fury for my uh, podcast about a mall crime that happened partially in an arcade? And he said, I don't know who owns the rights to that music, (laughs) but I wrote it. So I'm fine with it. And then I was like, Hey man, if you ever want to play pinball in the city, and he's like, well, we'll see. But he, what am I, fucking losing? I mean, he wrote the music to all that shit. Yeah, yeah. But um, shout out to Steve Schmidt as well for writing all the cool stuff. Um, thank you guys for having me. Listen to the Mall Walk podcast and listen to the Overlook Hour. Yeah. Oh, look at you. I never heard of it. That's all I wanted to say. Yeah. And listen, Randy, you got a band you want to plug? <laughs> you want a uh, band you want in the podcast? I don't really know. Uh, he yeah. doesn't uh, either. Opinions.bandcamp.com. So. I throw demos and stuff on there that I haven't uh, recorded in a while, but 
Hell yeah. Well, I'm working on this trucker project with Celia now. It's a long way in production. Maybe I'll uh, commission some original music. We'll talk Hell down yeah, the line. Down. <laughs> uh, if you need a radio personality, you know, Clark's already been featured in a feature film as a radio personality. So uh, the contract's already ready if you just want to. If by feature, you mean uncredited star. <laughs> hey, <laughs> I was. You a, shut the fuck up. I was an uncredited editor on this project and I'm still out here marketing it. So oh the uncredited roles are sometimes the most important, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You're the one who complains <laughs> about it. What? I am always credited. It's in my contract. Nick, thank you for being Hey, guys. It's always, <laughs> it's always a pleasure and uh, much love. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Overlook Hour. And if you would like to hear more, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your podcatcher of choice is. And while you're there, go ahead and give us a rating and or a review, which is a very easy way for you to support this show uh, that we bring to you every week for years now, free of charge. And as always, you can find us on YouTube at The Overlook Theater, Instagram at The Overlook Theater, Facebook at The Overlook Hour, and Twitter at The Overlook Hour. Last but not least, you can send us your emails and tell us how much you like or dislike the show at overlookhour at gmail.com. And if you're nice, maybe we'll uh, read them on the show. I've been your engineer, Randy Stat. Please join me along with Clark, Russell, and Oksana again next time. Bye.